super psyched to be here. Thanks for coming out. We were talking backstage, and the answer is yes. Episode 34, and I'm your host, Pyromaniac Mo. You can follow me on Twitter at Pyromaniac Mo. That is all letters P Y R O M A N I A C M O. And today I've got yet another fantasy football talk for you. I am joined by 444's own TJ Hernandez. Now, TJ is Honest to goodness, one of my favorite analysts in the fantasy biz. His studies are top-notch, in my opinion. So if you're looking for some insightful statistics and in-depth analysis, look no further uh, than today's PyroLite guest, TJ Hernandez. We're going to talk MFL 10s. Everybody's loving it and doing it. Here is your chance to get the basics and some fantastic strategy, plus... I mentioned TJ does some amazing studies. Just did a four-part series. I I tweeted all the links out where he dives in from statistics, year-to-year basis, and sees which one holds the most correlation. So which statistics can you use from year-to-year with fairly high prediction that they're going to be the same, and which statistics very wildly from year to year. I think you guys are going to be surprised. And of course, you can always use this information to bring home the hardware at the end of your fantasy season. Oh, yeah. Now, the music you heard for this show was favorite band of mine, The String Cheese Incident. This is a live show from Red Rocks 2010. Of course, uh, they're covering another favorite band of mine, The Talking Heads, with a little ditty entitled Naive Melody. Now, This is a jam band, guys, so do yourself a favor. Check out the entire song. That's really where it's at. Check out the entire song. Play it at the end of today's Fantasy Football Talk, only on the Pyrolite Podcast. As I said, String Cheese Incident, one of my favorite all-time bands. I followed them from uh, this end of the United States to the other. I've got 37 String Cheese shows under my belt. I go, I wiggle my arms and my feet and smile all the while. So if you're a jam band fan, nothing like a good cheese show. All right, gang, just wanted to take a few minutes to talk 
some stuff here for you today. I want you, yes, you, listening to this right now, driving down the road, or working out, or, you know, doing whatever it is you do. I want you to put the man in American. Wait, A-M. Uh, all right. I want you to put the man in Ameriman. Leave us a review. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, here's a recent iTunes review from Nikki C from NYC. He says, just started listening after my cousin sent me a screenshot of their tears show, which is nuts because we play against each other in leagues and he just sent me this ammunition. Well done, fellas. Love the banter, the cool and fun atmosphere, and of course, the knowledge you spit into the dome on a weekly basis. Thanks, guys, and keep on trucking. Well, thank you, Nikki C. You, sir, are a true Ameriman. Now, in all sincerity, guys, uh, I know you're listening out there. We do this all the time, and you probably at this point sort of just gloss over, right? Well, wake up! You mess with the bull, young man, and you get the horns. I know, I raided Barry Manilow's wardrobe. Now, all right, gang, we're going to tell the Ameriman from the Amero Boys out there by seeing who just got that John Hughes reference. But I digress. In all sincerity, bottom line, go on over, check out iTunes, leave us a review. That's the Pyromaniac Fantasy Football Fire. You will spread the love and get it back tenfold. Now, guys... It's getting to be that time of year. Are you thinking about setting up a new league but don't want the hassle of asking your delinquent buddies to send the check already? Or worse yet, maybe you've won a league, and I've been there, and it's been months since week 16, and you still haven't seen payment. Now, if this sounds familiar, then League Safe is for you. If you're setting up a new league, go to leaguesafe.com forward slash pyro. Not only will they take care of payment and collection, payout at the end of the year, they're going to give you $10 just for signing up. you got to use the Pyro promo. Once again, leaguesafe.com forward slash Pyro. You can find all the details there. This way, all you have to worry about is the fun stuff, right? Let League Safe take care of the actual money. Let's face it, the money aspect of fantasy football can be a headache to track organize and do all that stuff that's where league safe comes in again new leagues get a ten dollar credit tossed into their league balance so essentially if you're just adding to the take-home pot at the end of the year you're going to start the league anyway might as well go to leaguesafe.com to do it forward slash pyro each league here's the cut here's the 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 basis for you it's easy each league must have at least 250 bones in their bank and at least five unique paying members that's it, guys. That is it. So, starting up a league, here's your chance to help us out and help yourself out. Get some money in the bank there for you. Go to leaguesafe.com forward slash pyro. Set up your new league now. As I said, you get 10 bucks for doing it, and you don't have to worry about the hassle of collection. Leaguesafe.com forward slash pyro. All right, gang, as stated, I got a doozy of a fantasy football talk for you today on the Pyro Light podcast. I, of course, am Pyromaniac Mo, and stay tuned, because up next, we're going to kick off this episode by shooting the breeze with none other than 4 for 4s TJ Hernandez. 
Enjoy, guys. All right, Pyromaniacs. As promised, I am here with TJ Hernandez. This is an associate editor at 444. Now, TJ is a former poker player who's taken his talents to the fantasy football world for our benefit. Uh, although his background's in poker stats and analytics, you can see all of that in his fantasy work, both daily and season long. Check him out at 444. And also, you can follow him on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Of course, TJ, uh, for you podcast fans, is the co host of DFS MVP Podcast, and he is here with me today. How are you, Mr. Hernandez? Doing good. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. You know, uh, we were talking a bit before. I told you the pyromaniacs know I'm a teacher, so life is good in June, July, and August. I know. You're on summer vacation. That sounds nice. This is like the opposite. This is my busy time now. I don't get a summer. You know, I was even talking to uh, D-Rex, my partner at Pyromaniac, I was, and I was talking to you too. I was planning on taking a week to sort of decompress after teaching high school seniors all year and uh, before really jumping into fantasy, but I'm such a nerd for fantasy i couldn't wait so uh i'm really looking forward to this i told you you are really one of my uh favorite analysts out there the work you do is just uh substantial so uh, i thank you as a fantasy fan for your work oh, thank you that means a ton like i, I really really appreciate when anybody says that to me it, it, it means a lot now as i said your statistical analysis, the studies you do, is really totally top-notch. Uh, but in case there are some pyromaniacs out there who have not found their way to you, uh, where can they find you and your analysis? I think you pretty much covered it all. Uh, starting this year, I'm, I'm writing exclusively for 4 for 4, and then Chris Raybon and I have our, our DFS podcast, uh, and then Twitter at TJ Hernandez. So all my stuff will be on 4 for 4 this year. Yeah, 4 for 4 does a great job. Of course, a uh, uh, friend of Pyromaniac Light, Josh Moore and I, we, we saddled up at uh, Eagle Monk Brewery here in Lansing, Michigan, and we did a, we did a talk. So uh, hopefully we'll be visiting with many of you guys throughout the season. You guys do a great job. Thanks. Yeah, if, if anybody gets a chance to hang out with Josh Moore, I highly recommend it. I got to spend two weeks with him in Mexico in February, and we had a blast. He's, he's the coolest dude. Yeah, uh, I've really enjoyed my time getting to know Josh. Uh, it's nice to have another fantasy nerd in my city who enjoys good brew. So uh, it's a match made in heaven yep. there. All right, now, TJ, basically, pyromaniacs have heard me ask this question almost every single fantasy football talk. But one of the ideas behind this is to basically shrink the world a little bit and share the wealth of fantasy knowledge, so be it. Uh, what's one of the resources you use either during the season or draft preparation? What's a fantasy football resource beyond 444, which is excellent, but beyond 444 that you yourself use in fantasy football? Yeah, I mean, the two that really stand out to me are pro football reference, just because if you're looking for any stat or any trend or continuing stats like there's just so if if you get familiar with those queries you can find almost anything you're ever looking for and then football outsiders is probably the most i mean outside of the hardcore fantasy guys probably one of the most underrated sites out there it's some really complex advanced stuff but just their their dvoa metrics and and their yeah. pace stats like those 
those are one of my favorite things to look at. It's hard to find anything about offensive pace, and that's probably the most underrated statistic when it comes to uh, stats that correlate with fantasy points. Obviously, more volume is going to be more more chances to score. So uh, those two sites, I I can't live without them. Well, and Pyromaniacs, we are going to be diving in heavy to stats later on here in the show, but. Before we get there, we're going to spend the first half kind of talking with TJ from 444 um, about MFL 10s. Now, for a long time, Dynasty Leagues was one of the only ways fantasy players could engage with this degenerative thing that we love so much all year. Now we've got these MFL 10s. Uh, they've been picking up a lot of traction in the past few years. Now, for those of you unfamiliar, uh, here's the, the quick, the low down and dirty. Uh, you can find leagues for all sorts of buy-ins. Generally, 10 bucks is kind of the norm. Uh, the league is a best ball. So basically, that means no waiver wire, no trade, no setting your lineup. You draft a team, and that's it. Each league has about 12 teams with a 20-man roster. Now, autom- best ball, automatically the highest scoring players are selected from your roster. That's no matter how many of each position you have for each week. Your team's going to register scores for one quarterback, two running back slots, three wide receivers, one tight end, a flex, running back, wide receiver, tight end, and, of course, a defense. Now, again, after you've drafted the team, there's no management. The math is automatically done for you. They plug in the best players for each week, hence best ball. Now, other than the best ball aspect, Everything else is fairly standard. Uh, It's a four-point passing touchdown league. Basic scoring for everything else. Full-time PPR, full-point PPR. So the wide receiver position is inflated with that full-point PPR. And, of course, you're starting three wide receivers. Plus, you got the option for another with the flex. And it's a ton of fun. Uh, TJ, did I miss any of the the basics if somebody's not familiar with MFL? No, I think you pretty much nailed it other than the fact that uh, you can actually win real money. So I I think that's pretty important to know. Yeah, and you know, that's one of the reasons I really like looking at um, MFL 10 ADP Mm -hmm. off of real drafts, whereas, you know, fantasy football calculator, you're talking mock drafts. So you're talking a lot of times computer drafted. Maybe somebody gets bored, they they draft a couple guys or a couple spots, and then they move on, and then it just basically goes off a list. So I really like using it for my PPR ADP. Uh, That's one valuable tip, I think. Now, being that you are a, a DFS guru, and again, uh, folks, if you haven't checked out the DFS MVP podcast from 4 for 4 with TJ Hernandez and Chris Raybon, do yourself a favor. It is excellent. But TJ, um, much as in the same way, DFS is a, uh, a different mindset, right, than, than redraft leagues or dynasty. You're not going to draft the same type of players as you would in a typical redraft. There's basic philosophical differences with MFL 10s. Uh, one thing that trips up folks is roster construction. Mm-hmm. Now, in redraft, personally, I generally take quarterbacks late. Uh, if my guy doesn't hit, then I'm going to stream. So generally, I roll with one QB. Uh, maybe I'm taking one or two tight ends. And of course, you got to be flexible. But what is, let me ask you, what's the optimal roster construction for MFL 10s? I mean, we're, we'll get into this in, in a little bit more. I think it's it's going to depend a little bit on on your draft strategy, especially early on. But for the most part, um, and I this is going back to last year, and then through I think twelve drafts this year. Last year, I think I did sixty-seven of them. Uh, usually, I'm looking. I'm I'm 
looking at about on average two quarterbacks, uh, five to six running backs, seven usually on average seven wide receivers, but that can really fluctuate anywhere from six to eight. Uh, tight ends two to three, depending on how comfortable I am with with my first tight end, and then defenses. I'm usually rolling out three defenses just because. Uh, if say I'm drafting between a, a third defense in, in the 20th round and uh, some wide receiver four that I don't know if is he's going to even see any snaps, I'd, I'll take those for sure defensive points with my with my third defense. And defense is hard to predict. So you can have – if you just stick with two, there's a lot of times where you can be rolling out, you know, two points a week with your defense. Who knows? Absolutely. Yeah, defenses is a tough one. We're not talking about one person, but, you know, a, a unit of guys working together. Now, you, for those of us out there who may be dipping our toes in the MFL 10 waters, you said uh, two to three, depending. So let's look at that a little bit. Now, as I mentioned earlier, usually I'm going to take a late round quarterback. Now, if it happens to be that I get just great value, and, and Drew Brees is there at a round I find it valuable. I'm going to go ahead and take a top-tier quarterback, even though I believe in the late-round uh, QB philosophy. Uh, other times, maybe I might have two really late guys. It just depends on how the draft goes. Uh, you gave us some optimal numbers for each position, but again, there's that flexibility. So talk a little bit about that. You know, if you have a higher-tiered quarterback does that mean you don't have to invest in as many quarterbacks figuring that top tier guy is likely going to be your highest performer week to week yeah i mean if we're talking about quarterback in particular i'm almost always ending up with with just two quarterbacks unless uh i mean like you said that late round quarterback strategy is one of my favorites too but i i do like to play chicken with it a little bit so there are times well where i'll find myself uh in a position where a QB runs half a second QB run happens before I even get my first one. In those cases, uh, then I might be a little more inclined to, to take a third quarterback. But for the most part, uh, if, if I do find myself with one of those top tier quarterbacks and I agree with you, their, their value is, is great right now because there's a lot of really sharp people drafting, which is pushing those QB ADPs down a little bit. Uh, so if, if I find myself with one of those top guys, uh, the only thing that's really going to do is let me wait even longer on my second quarterback, whereas maybe I would take uh, two guys in the 10 to 13 range or, or 11 to 14 round range. Uh, if I get, say, like you said, a Drew Brees or even a Russell Wilson or something like that, I'll be happy sitting and waiting to take a, you know, a Ryan Fitzpatrick, assuming he signs, um, and just rolling with those two guys and loading up on all the other positions in those rounds that I might be drafting a quarterback like the 10th or 14th round. So is that the same kind of deal then if we move to the tight end position? Like, for example, in a redraft league, if I lock up Gronk, who I think is kind of alone in, in Tier 1, but even if I get a, a Tier 2 guy who's expected to do really well, chances are I'm going to roll with him. Now, a real late guy that I like is Dwayne Allen. But if you are landing a Gronk, does that mean you're just going to get one other tight end versus maybe landing a Dwayne Allen and maybe two other tight ends? Yeah, t tight end is, is pretty tricky just because on a week-to-week -week basis, it's such a volatile position. Uh, I just heard Rummy talking about this uh, last week on um, on the DFS Power Hour, how uh, teams that rostered Gronk just didn't do well uh, last year. And that a lot of that is because um, – 
teams that drafted Reed did really well, but uh, it's it's just a volatile position. And if you're just relying on that one single player to carry that position, I think it's going to be tough. So yeah, if I do roster Gronk, uh, I'm going to wait really long and, and just take a second tight end a little bit later. Uh, but for the most part, I like those those middle round tight ends. It really comes down to how comfortable you are in your player valuation because uh, the position is so volatile. So if you trust that you drafted two guys that you think can can uh, complement each other very, very well, then then two is fine. Um, but even if one of those guys is even a little bit shaky, I'm usually going to look for at least a really, really cheap third guy just to – uh, just to save myself a little bit because even the best tight ends are, are liable to put up those two three-point games in any given week. It is a uh, volatile position, and folks, we're going to get into some serious statistics. So if you're a geek like me, you want to keep on listening. I am Pyromaniac Mo, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Pyromaniac Mo, just like it sounds. And today I'm joined by Fort for Fours. TJ Hernandez, give him a follow on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. That is T J H E R N A N D E Z. Now stay with us, gang, because TJ is going to give us some MFL 10 draft strategy. So keep listening. Welcome back, Pyromaniacs. Remember, guys, head on over to pyromaniac.com now. We've got our draft kit on sale for 20 bones. You get over 20 tabs of fantasy mass destruction. We're hard at work on version 4. But, of course, once you sign up, you automatically get every version sent to you immediately upon release. No reason to wait. That's at pyromaniac.com. We're going to jump back into our MFL 10 draft strategy conversation with 4 for 4s TJ Hernandez. All right, sir. Uh, let's get back to this here. Now, we, we talked a little bit about philosophies that are gaining a lot of popularity in the redraft world. Do the opposite, also known as zero RB, uh, which is basically investing in wide receiver position early and often in drafts, perhaps not grabbing a running back till round four, round five. Then, of course, we, we alluded to the late round quarterback. Of course, pyromaniac friend uh, JJ Zacharyson, Denny Carter have talked about this quite a bit. Um, where are you filling up on running backs and wide receivers? I mean, uh, are you using any of these strategies like do the opposite zero RB or late round quarterback in MFL tens, or is that strictly a redraft thing? Um, a, a little bit of both. Uh, I kind of alluded to earlier that I, I like to play, play chicken with a late round quarterback, especially in MFL tens, the, the best ball format, uh, it it even it highlights the late round quarterback strategy even more just because you don't have to pick and choose when you're going to stream a guy you just get their best game whenever it comes up and and that kind of lowers the value of those consistent high scores like the Aaron Rodgers types uh zero running back it it's uh, it really depends for me i mean a true zero running back strategy is heavily predicated on picking up guys on the waiver wire and and capitalize on injuries Obviously, in an MFL 10 format, you can't do that. So yeah. I'm never really going with a with a true zero running back strategy. 
Um, I usually want at least one guy in, in the first five rounds, maybe more. Uh, I just did a, a league with uh, four for four staff, and I had four running backs in the first six rounds. So in a league like this, I'm a little more inclined to, to take running backs early. But uh, but at the same time, especially this year, uh, after after the 2015 debacle at the running back yeah. position, we're seeing guys like um, like the Charles Sims, like the Theo Riddicks, uh, even Jay Ajayis. We're seeing those guys – values down in the sixth seventh round sometimes uh that's liable to change when we start getting some more casual drafters in and then we might be uh forced into a little more early running back strategy in mfl 10s like we like we saw last year just because uh you don't want to get caught with your pants down you don't want to end up with just two running backs on your roster that you know are going to get playing time and then you never know uh you know their buys don't match up or you end up with with three really, really late running backs uh, and you never know when those guys are going to get snapped. So I'm less inclined to go zero running back in MFL 10, although I really do love that strategy in redraft, especially for for the leagues I play in, which are three wide receiver PPR with the flex. And that's exactly MFL 10, right? So if you look at some of these ADPs, MFL 10 versus fantasy football calculator standard, there's a significant difference there, right? Because you've got three wide receivers that are starting every week plus full PPR. So if you don't nab some of those early wide receivers quick, uh, you like you said, you could be left with your pants down. So I'm curious, in this league where you drafted four running backs out of your first six picks, was that right? Yeah. Uh, when was your first running back taken then? Uh, I took Ezekiel Elliott at 1.08. Uh, okay. Just because I hadn't had any shares of him yet, and and again, this is something we'll touch on a little bit more, I think, as far yeah. as shares and how many leagues you play in. Um, but yeah, I got Zeke at 1.08, and that's that was actually I think those this was the first running back uh, first draft that I started running back running back just because I wanted to see how it shook out, and it turned out all right, but. I, I'm generally just going with a little more balanced approach, letting the draft come to me in these MFL 10s and going into trying to force that strategy where in some redraft leagues, especially if they're more casual, I could go in and pretty much know I'm going to go zero running back and still be fine. Let me ask you this. Uh, what do you use when you go in? Because we always tell people, you know, um, that Bruce Lee philosophy, right? He wasn't a master of one technique. He mastered many so that whoever he was fighting, he could adapt. And you kind of have to adapt to your draft. And we answer questions all the time. Hey, I'm going to uh, uh, go into this draft with this philosophy. But y- you got to let the draft come to you, as you just said. Now, I go into a draft basically with my tier sheet, and that's it. What do you go into a draft with? What What's in front of you? Uh, usually what I'm looking at is, well, I'm, I'm actually not even using this yet cause I've only done about 12 drafts, but, uh, my draft spot, uh, my player shares and, and then just kind of the, okay. the ADPs because I'm not in a normal redraft league where I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not really going after, I'm, I'm not tied to ADP so much. It's just one league. Yeah. I want to win that league a lot. When I have this massive shares of, of these MFL 10s, uh, I'll stick a little closer to ADP just because uh, I'm naturally going to get a a decent share of players. Certain players are going to fall. Certain players are going to rise. So in MFL 10s, I'm really not taking too many players way over their ADP just because I know I'll get shares of them down the road somewhere. Uh, so ADP, the shares I have of the players, um, and then just kind of my draft spot and, and trying to figure out where I'm going to start and go from there. 
Yeah, that's one thing I add to my tiers is the, is the ADP, so I know when I'm getting value or if I can hold off on a guy uh, and, and get him more appropriate um, in correlation to his ADP. Now, we've talked some philosophy, but let's get into some specific players. Being that it's best ball, that changes the value. So let's talk about boom bust guys. I'm talking a, a Deshaun Jackson, a Torrey Smith, uh, a Mike Wallace, who I'm starting to like more and more this year with uh, Joe Flacco. Uh, but guys, these are types of guys that can disappear for weeks at a time. They're going to give you a headache and redraft because you just don't know when to start them. But they can explode on any given week. In MFL 10s, how much are these guys, these types of players, these boom-bust guys in MFL 10s, how much are they elevated? So for me, if you talk about a guy like Deshaun, uh, mm-hmm. in a redraft league, he's a guy that I might, and unless I, I stock up on three or four wide receivers I really like before him, he might never find his way onto my roster just because I'm never going to know when to plug him in. So it's not so much that these guys are elevated in MFL 10s for me personally as much as I'll be willing to take them at their value. Uh, so we're in redraft. I, I might want them to drop a round or two before I consider them. If MFL 10, I might be more willing to, to take them at their ADP. So if, if that makes sense, that's how it elevates them for me personally. I'll just be more willing to, to take them at their asking price. And are you looking at um, maybe give me some other names? Maybe uh, what are you looking at? Uh, red zone production? What are you looking at, at for these types of players that you want to to lock up on your MFL 10? Yeah, I mean, I'm still I'm still just trying to draft the, the best players available and put together uh, a roster of the teams that I think are going to score the most points. So I'm not for I'm not exactly like searching out these Deshaun Jackson types. Um but I okay. I will be more willing to to take these uh boom bust players and uh wide receiver particularly uh looking at touchdown dependency, um looking at players that are scoring from outside the red zone. So Deshaun is the perfect example. Over the last three years, forty two percent of his his uh fantasy points have come from touchdowns outside the red zone. On a week to week uh, basis you're never going to be able to rely on that but uh when you just get the when you get the big scores whenever they come that's that's fantastic what about some other wide receivers maybe uh like a kelvin benjamin didn't see him last year uh everybody's seems to have a position on him maybe even a, a watkins what do you think about some of these wide receivers yeah so benjamin and watkins are the guys that stand out to me the most is these guys that are very touchdown reliant and especially from touchdowns outside the red zone. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the last two years, Sammy Watkins, 34% of his fantasy points have came from touchdowns outside the red zone. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin, obviously, he only has one year under his belt, but uh, 36% of his touchdowns have came from uh, touchdowns outside the red zone now. The league average for, for wide receivers with at least 100 targets is about 19% long touchdowns, uh, fantasy points coming from long touchdowns. Oh. So their their percentage is very high. Um, so like I said earlier, a guy like Watkins, especially right now, his with the injury news, his price is, is a little bit depressed. I've seen him going in the third round. So whereas when these MFL 10s launched and Watkins was going off as the wide receiver 10 or 11, uh, now I'm scooping up all yeah. the Watkins I can get. Uh, Kelvin's a little bit of a different story. I, I I don't know what to expect because I expect this offense to regress a lot, um, and he relied a, a ton on – 
red zone targets, uh, just a massive amount of targets his rookie year, which I don't think he'll repeat just because they have a few more guys that can have funches. Ginn had a decent year last year. Uh, that offense as a whole should regress in the touchdown department from last year. So uh, Kelvin, I'm probably not touching, but if I did, it would be in a format like this. So I hear you say Watkins. Now, I'm pretty high on Tyrod Taylor mm-hmm. as, a, as a late round uh, guy. Uh, however, the Watkins injury uh, it has given me pause. Uh, what do you think about either Tyrod or uh, his effect on Sammy Watkins? I'm I'm a huge Tyrod guy, and I've been uh, tweeting out a bunch of his uh, efficiency stats lately. He he had one of the most efficient seasons we've seen in NFL history last year. Now the volume wasn't there, so uh, people probably didn't. Casual fantasy players probably didn't notice just how great he was. Um, but mm-hmm. he's fantastic, and and we talked about a little bit off air. Uh, Denny Carter loves to talk about quarterback efficiency, so that's someone that that I'm targeting in in all my yeah. drafts, redraft MFL ten. Um, so without Watkins, yeah, that's going to hurt him a little bit. And another concern is just the Greg Roman offense, but uh, the hope is that they see that they have a fantastic quarterback and at least let him do his thing a little bit because he's phenomenal, man. I, I love Tyron. I'm a yeah, T-Mobile, uh, Ty God, I'm a believer. Amen. Um, we, we've talked about some boom bust guys and some guys we really like, but considering we're talking best ball, what about some of those steady Eddie players? Uh, a, a guy that's going to look great season long, but never really going to win you a week. You know, maybe they are their values depressed a little bit in MFL 10s. You know, what comes to mind is, is Frank Gore, uh, PPR last year. He only had two weeks over 20 fantasy points. Uh, There were six weeks with single-digit performances, and he had five weeks between 11 and 13 points. I mean, that's not exactly going to win you some weeks. So what do you think about a gore or a guy like that who looks good year-long but really steady, kind of low-ceiling, decent-floor kind of guys? Uh Th- this is interesting because this is something that I've talked about with, with some of the 4 for 4 guys. Haven't really dug into the research, but uh, I I have a, a uneducated theory that people really devalue these Steady Eddie guys in MFL 10s. And uh, I think there's something to be said for avoiding zeros, especially at, at a position like running back where – in this format, there's a good chance that your starting optimal starting lineup might just have two running backs every week. And uh, if you load up on a lot of these high upside guys, well, in turn, they also have uh, probably pretty low floors. So if we're talking about like the Theo Riddicks, uh, the Shane Vereens, um, even the CJ Pro sizes, yeah, because they're pass catchers, uh, any given week, they can have really big weeks. But there's also a really good chance that if you have three or four of those guys together, they can have bad weeks at the same time. So uh, I think there's something to be said for having at least one of these floor guys on your roster, uh, because when you have these high variance guys and and three of them have you know seven or eight PPR points, that that 12 point game is going to look pretty good. Uh, so if the price is right, which for someone like Gord is right now, uh, I want I still want a couple floor guys on my MFL 10 teams. You may you may be turning me around there a little bit. I like that. With the, uh, you know, I always think when you say boom bust, I always hear the boom. Right. I think that a lot of people do. Right. And you got to remember those busts. And if you have a bunch of those guys, your odds are pretty likely they could all bust at the same time. Right. For sure. 
Now, we, we alluded to this a little. Oh, and by the way, I, you, you mentioned I'm from Michigan. You mentioned Theo Riddick. He is a Notre Damer. I'm a Notre Dame man. Uh, recent news, Jim Bob Cooter says that he might be able to improve on his touches, his uh, rushes next year. So given that he had 43 last year, I don't think that's going to be a stretch. Oh, I'm, I'm a Riddick guy. I, I think he could lead running backs and targets this year. I like uh, I love Riddick, of course, for his past and you know especially in PPR. I've got my eye on Zenner too. I really really liked him in the uh, preseason last year. I think he could be certainly a, a red zone guy, but that's a camp I'm looking to see kind of who boils out there at the running back position. Yeah, that's an interesting backfield to touch. I think as of now, Riddick's the only guy I'm really targeting. But yeah, keep your eye on Zenner in the preseason. Yeah, hit great preseason last mm-hmm. year, but yeah, Riddick is the kind of guy that nobody's gonna ooh and ah when you draft him, but he can he can put up some some good floor games for you. And like you say, those guys are often undervalued. Absolutely. Now, let me we we alluded to this I think a little bit, but does your strategy change at all when you draft? Now I assume you're already drafting now. We're talking middle of July or I'm sorry, middle of June. Uh but if you're drafting now, aren't you likely in leagues with real high sharps, you know, uh, uh, guys who really know what they're doing, whereas if you draft later in the summer into August, now you're going to draft with the quote-unquote Joes. So does your strategy change at all when you draft? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be more of a um, a roster construction thing than really targeting players because I'm worried about who I'm drafting with. Uh, I mean, situations change. Uh, if you started really early or drafting before uh, before the NFL draft even happens, so we don't even know what rosters really look like at that time. So really, I'm just using the 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 time span to give myself natural diversification. So. Uh, to explain that if you're drafting rookies before they even got drafted, you're probably getting a really, really good price on them because no one knows their landing spot. The day after we know their landing spot, that ADP shoots through the roof because everybody's saying that they're going to score 20 touchdowns in this offense. Um, so, so there's that. And then as we get even later into the summer, these training back, uh, these training camp battles start, start kind of ironing themselves out and we get more information. Well, now I might, uh, I might be a little more inclined to maybe go back to that, early running back strategy that we were going with last year, because now we have a really clear picture of who's going to be getting a a majority of these carries instead of these running backs that are, we thought were in 50, 50 splits three weeks through preseason. We see, Oh, well they might not be using that guy very much. So, so now that second running back that looked good in the, in the middle rounds is, uh, isn't really on your draft board anymore. Uh, So it's just more natural diversification. Uh, I think one thing that really stands out right now is that I'm going to be able to get those. We talked about it earlier, like the Drew Brees type. Sometimes Russell Wilson's going to fall a little bit. Um, Even an Andrew Luck, like those quarterback ADPs are so depressed right now because like you said, so many really sharp players are drafting that it's going to naturally push that uh, quarterback ADP down. Uh, I'm pretty confident that we'll see it jump up at least a little bit. So you want to get players at at their cheapest, not their most expensive. So if you do want those shares of, of those top quarterbacks, now's the time to get them. And that's what I've, I've found myself doing here and there. So would you advise a guy who's looking to dip his toes in the MFL 10 waters to wait till August or just kind of keep in mind when he's drafting, like you say, Sharps, a lot of uh, fantasy professionals are, are late-run QBs, so you're getting value at QBs now. So just 
Would you advise waiting for the average Joe or just keep in mind the time of year they're drafting? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you have to wait. I mean, this, this is winner take all. In any given league, anyone can win this. I, I don't care if you have 11, 11 uh, quote-unquote experts at one average Joe. Only one guy's getting money anyway. Uh, so right. if things break for you, you're going to need some luck regardless. But like you said, just kind of keep in mind that these these values are going to change. And if you do your, your research a little bit and you know that these quarterbacks ADPs are probably going to rise and, you know, one or two running backs are probably going to shoot up the draft board. If you could figure out who they are, then just make sure you're getting the value on those guys now. And then when you do draft later, you'll you'll see those more expensive prices and, and you know you got a good deal earlier in the summer. Now, another thing I wanted to talk to you about here, if you are a guy that's playing numerous MFL 10s, let's, let's talk a little investment here, uh, particularly the amount of shares you're going to carry on a certain players. Now, uh, we're talking guys that play, as I said, multiple MFL 10s, uh, guys that sign up for a plethora of MFL 10, 10 drafts. Uh, does, how does your strategy change based on your investment that is ownership percentages of certain players? Sure. I think if if you're playing 5, 10, even 15, I think the best thing to do is just go in there in each draft and just draft the best team possible. Don't worry about ownership percentage. Uh, don't worry about diversifying. You just don't have that big of a portfolio. When I get into the 20, 30 range, I'm, I'll start looking at my player share, see who I'm really underweight on, who I'm really overweight on. Uh, you know, if I have 100% of, of one player across 50 leagues, that's obviously not probably not going to be an optimal strategy. I might try to get that down to you know, maybe 65, 70% at the most. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're not good at predicting the future. So even the players that I hate that I think are, are going to, to not shake out the way people think they do, uh, then I'm going to start getting some shares of them. You know, maybe it's only 10, 15%, but I don't want to be completely out on a player, uh, that the rest of the community is, is high on because, uh, a lot of the time, the rest of the community is smarter than me. So I say around that, that 20 to 30 league range is when you could start looking at your, your percentages and either fading players or maybe moving them up your draft board a little bit. But at the same time, we've talked about these ADPs change a lot. So a lot of times uh, you're just going to get natural diversification because of the price changes, assuming that you started drafting early and you're going to draft throughout August. So you hear, we hear all the time listening to podcasts and whatnot, portfolio diversification, but that really only applies to when, like you say, 30 or more. Other than that, you're, you're just kind of overthinking it, right? Absolutely. I mean, most of us, if if we knew how to uh, diversify portfolios and, and manage manage <laughs> stocks, we'd probably all be rich on yeah. Wall Street. So I think, I think that's probably taken a little bit too far. It's probably better for... Uh, the majority of people just kind of pass the eyeball test, make sure you don't have a hundred percent of, of one player across all your rosters and maybe no shares of someone, you know, like an early round guy that you don't like, maybe try to get a couple shares of them. But I think pinpointing a, a percentage is probably not going to, it's probably going to be one, a waste of time. And, and two, uh, you're probably, you, you're probably not going to be doing it optimally anyway. Beautiful stuff, man. Now, this is one of the reasons I, I love uh, listening to you, and it's this kind of stuff right here. Now, uh, another thing I'm really excited to talk to you about is uh, your correlation study. But before we get there, we've had a great MFL 10 talk. I want to ask you something I've heard you expound about you and Chris Raybon in the past. Uh, it, it's kind of an old theory, but 
Many drafters are hesitant to take players from the same team. Now, there seems to be this belief that if you draft a running back, you want to avoid wide receivers on the same team. Obviously, the thought is cannibalization. We're talking heart of the sea type cannibalization. If you've seen the movie or read the book, gruesome stuff. But guys eating into each other's production, right? Now, I credit you and Chris Raybon for changing my mind on this, honestly. Uh, and in fact, uh, Pyromaniacs in the current Pyro Draft Kit, uh, we've got the uh, breakdown of this on the uh, power rankings. Basically, a fantasy production and scoring based on each team. So, Arizona Cardinals ranked first last year, basically 98 fantasy points per game uh, in standard leagues across all positions. So, basically, they were top six, Arizona Cardinals, for quarterback production, running back, wide receiver, defense, even kicker. Of course, Bruce Arians, not known for the tight end. Uh, so why avoid taking a David Johnson and a Larry Fitzgerald on a team like Arizona? And there's a handful of other teams. Uh, better players are going to get you first downs, extend drives, and actually provide more opportunities. Now, you got teams at the bottom end, 49ers and Rams, each of which averaged 62 points collectively. Now, in that case, the pie is much smaller. So to debunk this theory, if you believe it, uh, is there a correlation there? I mean, what is your position on drafting guys from the same NFL team, such as a running back and a wide receiver? Uh, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head, and you had the, you had the numbers down pat better than I did when we were talking before the pod. Uh, I think running back, wide receiver uh, across the league have uh, a, a negative .07 correlation yeah. which is basically nothing it means there's there's basically no correlation right. between the two so it's it's not like they're dragging each other down there's not this massive negative correlation uh so like you said if, if for every first down a running back gets that's more plays for the wide receiver on the field and that i'm stealing that straight from chris raybon last year when we talked about it and vice versa every time a, a wide receiver uh gains another yard or extends a drive well now that running back is that much closer to the goal line uh, so especially in a, especially yeah. in a format like MFL tens, I'm going to be even more inclined to va I've actually started forcing this a little bit this year and stacking those players from the same team because, uh, in this format, when that offense does explode for 30 points, when you have, uh, when yeah. you have Le'Veon and Antonio, well, you're not getting them together cause they're both first rounders, but you get my point when you have that running back wide receiver together, well, you're getting that whole massive game in whatever week it comes in, uh, you know, redraft, maybe I, I guess you can make an argument where you don't want to do it, but I'm still just trying to take the best players available. So, uh, yep. you know, in short, no, I'm not I'm not avoiding players that I think are good just because they're on the same team. I think that's that's definitely a myth that uh, is causing people to probably lose out on some really valuable fantasy points. That was a myth I believed in, and, and much like 9-11, people remember where they were when that happened. I honestly remember listening to – uh, your podcast, the DFS MVP podcast with Chris Raybon, where I was, I was driving and you guys brought this up. I pulled over. I'm like, oh, my God, I, they're they're right. I think that's the most uh, positive comparison that I can possibly get to 9-11. So thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> true. True. Maybe it's too soon. Maybe I should have gone with you. Okay. <laughs> All right, gang. Now, uh, before we continue this fantasy football talk, just want to remind everyone, pull up pyromaniac.com on your computer. There you're going to find info on how to become a pyro pro. You get fantasy questions answered, resource toolbox, news feeds, rankings, write-ups, and 
you can enter 100 individual players to track across all your leagues. Information about becoming a Pyro Pro is available on the Pyromaniac homepage. Now, stay with us, guys, because we've got TJ Hernandez from 4 for 4 is going to share some of his recent findings on a great series. This was a four-part series on 4 for 4 on stat correlation, basically. Uh, this is one reason I truly love TJ's invaluable insight. You don't want to miss him dropping the knowledge, so stay tuned. All right, you are back with Mo listening to the Pyrolite Fantasy Football Talk. Follow me on Twitter at PyromaniacMo, and I'm here, as stated, with one of my favorite an analysts in the fantasy business, Mr. TJ Hernandez. Follow him over on Twitter at TJ Hernandez, and his work is on 4 for 4, and of course, as mentioned, the DFS MVP podcast. All right, TJ, as stated, you've done some really intriguing work in fantasy and gang. Uh, it's a four-part series. I tweeted out, I believe, a link uh, today and last night to each part of the series. Uh, it, really cool stuff on stat correlation. Uh, before we dive into the positions and, and your discovery, what was the hypothesis? Uh, what was the overall guiding principle you had going into the study? Yeah, I, <clears throat> to be honest, I didn't know what to expect out of the study. Um, basically, I, I started doing this because uh, you listen to any any fantasy football or football analysis period, and you hear uh, player X did this last year, so don't draft him this year. Uh, so I just wanted to get down to to the nuts and bolts and figure out which of these stats actually carry over and which ones don't. Uh, so that that was really just just the crux of it. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't ha I, I had my my theories. Um, but really I, I just kind of went into this open-minded and wanted to see, uh, what stats can we reference from last year and be confident that they're actually worthy and which ones do we talk about, uh, maybe too often that actually have no correlation for the next year. So that was really where this came from. And, and just out of curiosity, cause I'm a, a geek and, you know, we were talking earlier, like, uh, I don't know, it's like a catch 22, you know, if, uh, if I had, if I wasn't a teacher and, you know, shaping young minds of the future generations, uh, but if I wasn't a teacher, I'd have so much more time to put into these studies and make pyro better. It's one thing I love. So when I get a chance to do the studies, I often have a hypothesis, but I'm surprised at how many times I go in thinking one thing and then sometimes it happens, sometimes it comes out, but I go in thinking one thing and then I discover maybe a new direction or a whole new study or, or it just takes a, a turn. How often do you find that? All, all the time. I mean, I've, this is impossible because we're human beings and our brains don't work like we would like them to. So, uh, as best as I could, I try to go into a study, um, with a clear mind, but there, I mean, countless times i can't tell you how many spreadsheet documents i have on my computer that just never turn into an article because the data just basically ended up telling me nothing so yeah, yeah. all the time i mean the, my mind gets changed all the time so i try to go into it with a clear mind um you know once in a while there'll be something with a really really strong hypothesis so you just want to see how true that is and uh you know sometimes it turns into an article where you get to support it sometimes you find this uh find this piece of data that that breaks this myth that's industry-wide and you look really smart so it's just it's just digging through the numbers and it's all uh trial and error for me at least well, like you said, you've got those uh, tables and charts on your computer where that really 
all this work you put in and nothing became of it. It reminds me of those uh, Buddhist sand sculptures where they spend hours detailing this beautifully ornate uh, painting with sand, colored sand on the floor. And then when they're done, they open the windows and it just blows <laughs> yeah, away. That's a perfect analogy. It's pretty much what – that's my life, just blowing <laughs> stats away, throwing them out the window. Yeah. Now, the study you did, thankfully, uh, did not – just get stored on your computer somewhere. You turned it into a four-part series on four for four. So let's, I believe you started with, and let's just start with the quarterback spot. Now, first of all, tell us the methodology. That is to say, what did you look at specifically? <laughs> yeah, so like I said, I just wanted to figure out what translates from one year to the next for each position. Uh, so what I did first was take quarterbacks. Over the last five off-seasons, so uh, 2010 through 2015, and looked at quarterbacks that had at least 200 pass attempts. It's an arbitrary number, but I just wanted to, you know, a decent sample size, and then quarterbacks that didn't change teams just because if uh, changing from one team, there's already so many variables that could change a player's statistics in football. There's so many moving parts that I wanted to eliminate whatever noise I could. So uh, obviously changing teams is going to be a massive shift. Um, so eliminated players that switch teams. So quarterbacks on the same team with 200 pass attempts in consecutive seasons. Uh, and that gave me 113 quarterback sample size. So that's the groundwork. That's the parameters essentially. And I, I like those parameters, not changing team 200. Uh, what stats did you find seem to have year in, year out the most correlation or even stats that you found on the bottom end of the spectrum stats that did not seem to have a year to year correlation. What, what did you find on the spectrum? Then? So for quarterbacks, the highest year to year correlation, and we'll get back to this because this is very misleading. The highest year to year correlation is rush yards. Um, but like I said, we'll get back to that had a correlation of 0.84. Uh, anything over points, 0.7 is going to be very, very strong uh, between 0.3 and 0.7. It's just a range of moderation. Uh, um, and, then anything be below 0.3 is almost no or insignificant correlation, uh, just for the listeners that aren't familiar. So the the sh passing stat that correlates strongest from year to year is passing yards per game. So if a quarterback has whatever his passing yards were last year, uh, it's very likely that he's going to carry that over. After that, it's his pass attempts. And then pretty much every other passing stat is very um, – very variable from year to year. Uh, the ones that stood out as, as very low uh, that we actually reference a lot are probably uh, yards per attempt that had a correlation of just 0.4 mm -hmm. and touchdown rate, which had a correlation of just 0.3. Uh, yeah. So those are the ones that uh, that stood out as the highs and the lows, and, and we can get into the whys and what they mean if you like. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at touchdown rate, and it makes sense because we often say – uh, touchdowns are the most volatile. Mm -hmm. In fact, I will pick my busts a lot of times. One of the first things I look at on the Pyromaniac Draft Kit is percentage. So uh, a guy who had a very high percentage of his fantasy points come from touchdowns, I'm a little leery of, especially once they get over 30%. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like to look for yards, and I can identify a bust that way. So it, it makes sense. However, you think of certain guys as having a higher touchdown rate, and that's why we like them. So explain to me the, the 0.3% correlation on the touchdown rate. Why so low? Yeah, so I mean, what that basically means is even these high volume guys, if they throw 
four or five touchdowns more or less than they did a season before, it's going to change their touchdown rate a lot. Touchdowns just the touchdowns divided by their attempts. Um, so that percentage can fluctuate just because the number of touchdowns is never going to be super high. Uh, you know, 30 is is a number that's almost never repeated uh, two years in a row. So with a number like touchdown rate, just because it doesn't have a strong year-to-year correlation, that doesn't mean it's not important. Uh, what it means is that we can usually expect that number to regress to the mean. So if, it, if a quarterback had a very, very low touchdown rate or very, very high touchdown rate, uh, then we can expect that to, to change a little bit. But uh, with players that have a good sample size that have proved that they can be very efficient touchdown scores. Aaron Rodgers is the guy I highlighted in the article because he has the highest career touchdown rate among active quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, even his is going to fluctuate a lot. Uh, we see his high in 2011 was 9%. His low is last year, 5.4%. So for a guy like that, we don't expect his 5.4% to carry next year, but we can take that information and expect it to improve next year. So just because the correlation isn't strong doesn't mean it isn't an important number to look at. And with a, a couple things that come to mind here, but with the, the rushing mm-hmm. yards, at first I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Rushing yards were the highest. However, if you're a rushing quarterback, I mean, does it, to me, it kind of means like if you're a rushing quarterback one year, you're kind of a rushing quarterback the next year. And if you're not, you're not. Is that what it means to you? Or, or why did you think that uh, that landed as the most correlation? Yeah. Rushing I mean, the, the rushing quarterbacks are still going to be rushing quarterbacks, but for the most part, you're not going to be able to predict their rushing yards very accurately. The reason we see a a super high correlation with rushing numbers is because the majority of quarterbacks don't rush very much. So uh, if they rush for zero yards one year, they're probably going to rush for pretty close to zero yards the next year. So their correlation is very high. Uh, so that doesn't really tell us that much because most of the quarterbacks don't run that much. So what I did was I broke it down by uh, rushing quarterbacks and put them into buckets and Every bucket is a little noisier because the sample size got smaller, but uh, it's still worth noting that when you when you change it and just look at quarterbacks that rush for 200 or more yards in the season, the rushing year-to-year correlation drops to 0.7. Um, if you look for 300 yards or more, it drops to just 0.56. And then there were only 16 quarterbacks in this sample size, but quarterbacks that rush for 400 or more yards in a single season saw just a uh, 0.29 correlation over the next year. So you yeah, they're going to still be rushing quarterbacks, but it's going to be really hard to look at, say, Russell Wilson say, oh, he rushed for 400 yards this year. He's going to rush for 400 yards next year. It could easily be 600. It could easily be 200. We just don't know. And then the uh, the touchdowns are even even harder to predict. Uh, quarterbacks that rush for four or more touchdowns saw just three, uh, 0.39 correlation, so a really low correlation from year to year. So, again, if just because a quarterback rushed for uh, – five, six, seven touchdowns, probably not going to repeat that next year, Cam Newton. Right, exactly. Regression is uh, on the horizon. Uh, one thing that stood out to me just looking at this here, out of the top six most um, year-to-year correlation, the, the, the most year-to-year correlation, four of them are categories based on a per-game basis, which Totally makes more mm-hmm. sense, as in uh, passing yards per game, 0.71. And yet, when we talk quarterbacks, we often talk total passing yards, which only has a correlation of 0.46. It makes sense, yet we never seem to talk 
per game. We always seem to talk season long, and it doesn't make sense. We're in a per-game business. Yeah, we're going to see this across the board with all the positions. Uh, Quarterbacks had a year-to-year correlation, games played of just .08. So uh, if a quarterback gets benched, if he gets hurt for two or three games, that's really going to throw off his season-long stats. So really those per-game stats are what we want to look at. We can't predict if a guy's going to blow out his knee in the middle of the season. Uh, So as a group – you're not going to be able to predict everybody's entire um, uh, end-of-season stats, and that's basically what this is saying. But on a per-game basis, we have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do. So as long as they're healthy, we could uh, expect them to continue that pace. And and that's even somewhat true for fantasy points. I mean, we saw a .55 correlation of fantasy points per game. Not super strong, but you know we shouldn't ignore it either. Now, let's turn to uh, the running back position, if you're ready. Yeah. Uh, first, set it up for us. What, what was the methodology there? What did you look at? Same thing. We want uh, players that stayed on the same team just so there's not too much noise. Uh, and then for running backs, I looked at players that had at least 100 touches since 2010. So from 2010 through 2015, that gave us a sample of 132 running backs. Okay, so much larger group pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, 132. Now, what did what did you find? What stats are perhaps most predictive, and what seem to be more of a crapshoot? Yeah. So, in short, basically, uh, running backs usage isn't going to change from year to year. Uh, we're not going to be able to predict their touchdowns or fantasy points too confidently, uh, but their attempts, touches, and targets per game all have a correlation around 0.65. So, a very very strong correlation. So, unless there's some drastic change, we can really we can really expect a running back's role to uh, stay consistent in an offense. That's interesting. Uh, we we always talk about someone coming in and of course this is guys that stayed on the same team mm-hmm. right, right? Exactly. but we always talk talk about guys coming in and how that's going to affect uh the situation and i i gotta notice again the top six are all per game and like you said this is something that's uh prevalent throughout all the positions right per game statistics yeah especially with running backs they i if I remember correctly, they have the uh, the lowest per game correlation. Uh, actually, wide receivers, but still, they had a negative correlation, but almost no correlation, negative .04. So we just have no way to predict if a running back's going to stay healthy or not, which I think is pretty common knowledge. So bottom line for for running backs, did you are you going to pay more attention to a certain statistic this year based off this on this study? Yeah. So their attempts and touches per game, uh, like I said before, really important. So we just want to look at that usage. So I'm going to be looking for those those high usage backs, those high targeted backs. And on the flip side, uh, and this was probably what stood out to me across all the studies that I did. Uh, efficiency for running backs is something that we really can't rely on from year to year, but it's one of the stats that I probably hear referenced most by fantasy analysts across the industry, uh, yards per touch and yards per carry. We hear all the time. He only had a 3.5 yards per carry. He's, he's not a good running back. Uh, yards per carry only had a 0.11 year to year correlation. It's another like touchdown rate for quarterbacks. It's a stat that tends to, except for, uh, a few outliers, it tends to regress towards the mean. Um, I highlighted Arian Foster, who I think has been one of the most efficient and effective backs in recent history. He had a, a high yards per touch over the last five years of uh, 5.65 and a low of 4.2. Now, that doesn't sound like one, one maybe one and a half yards. It doesn't sound like a huge 
uh, number, but if we if we extrapolate that over 300 touches, that's over 400 yards uh, at the end of the season. So that's a that's another stat that you shouldn't necessarily think that just because a player had a bad yards per touch or yards per carry that it's going to carry over. Uh, you should look at that and probably expect it to regress to either their individual mean or to the to the league mean. Yeah, and you know. I get tripped up in this. Uh, I recently tweeted something from the All-In Kid, uh, which was talking yards per carry, and it was talking Matt Jones, and I believe, I'm going off memory here, but I believe it was weeks 14 through 16, had a, uh, it was about 46 carries, had a 3.0 yards per carry. And, of course, you can use that to argue against Matt Jones. Now, talk to a friend of the podcast, did a fantasy football talk with me, uh, Mr. Christopher Harris, and he always brought up he hates yards per mm-hmm. carry. Numer- numerous reasons, but there's so many factors. The offensive line, there's so many things that go into it. It doesn't really reflect well on the running back. But here's my, I don't know, caveat or perhaps my outlier. Look at the Eagles last year. DeMarco Murray, 3.6. Sproles, 3.8. Ryan Matthews had the highest, I I, uh, forgot to write it down, but I think it was 4.8 or 5.1, over a yard per carry more. So wouldn't that identify Ryan Matthews as an outlier or or somebody who's better given the the average of the other running backs on the team and given the offensive line? Yeah, I mean, there's... There's so many pieces to it that's I, I always try to tell people like these are all just pieces to the puzzle. None of this is the end all be all. And you brought up a great example in in Philly, and then I mean you look at some someone like uh like the the Bengals backfield last year. I don't think Geo or Jeremy Hill had a very good yards per carry, but then if we look at something like yards per touch, Geo led all running backs in yards per touch, and that makes sense. He was catching a lot of passes while uh Jeremy Hill is running the ball a lot. Uh, you gain more yards throwing the ball. So maybe we should be looking at yards per touch instead of yards per carry. But even that stat doesn't have a super strong correlation. So, yeah, it's it's all a piece of the puzzle, and, and we need to uh, make sure we're just putting these things in context. But you can't just blindly look at these numbers and expect them to carry over. Well, it, one mistake I kind of made was uh, looking at and trying to get this to help me fantasy-wise. And uh, I, I brought this up to you with uh, quarterbacks, I believe. We were talking off air, and I said uh, the amount of pass attempts when you're streaming a quarterback, a lot of times that's not something you want to necessarily look for. Just because they're throwing a lot doesn't mean they're uh, efficient and going to give you a lot of fantasy points. How are you going to use what you found to better your fantasy game? Uh, are you talking just running backs in particular? Sure. I mean, like I said, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go after that volume. Um, I'm I'm okay. not going to necessarily look at these high touchdown scores or or high uh, yards per carry guys and think that oh he had you know he had five yards per carry on on 75 carries he's going to be great in a bigger role no I'm right. I'm going to first make sure that there is that bigger role to be had um, I mean Duke Johnson comes to mind he's a guy that that people are are really really liking as a as a middle round pick and yeah I think he's going to be a great PPR running back but I don't think he's going to get the usage to be a, a top 10 running back. I think he's going to be a great RB2. I'm, I'm probably going to have him on all of my redraft mm-hmm. teams, um, but I'm, I'm going to look at those attempts and touches per game, and the volume probably isn't going to be there enough to, to boost him into that you know top 10 tier. So perhaps correlation to fantasy, like you say, attempts in the running back, attempts per game, uh, 0.67 year-to-year correlation, touches per game, 
0.65. Targets per game, 0.64. So perhaps, like you say, volume. Yeah. That's what you're looking for for a running back again that's been on the same team. Correct. All right. Now let's turn, if we will, and by the way, to correct myself, I said uh, DeMarco Murray 3.6, Sproles 3.8. Ryan Matthews is officially 5.1 from last year according to Roto Wire. Now let's turn to the wide receiver position, and you found a lot of similarities between the tight end, but again, set us up. Uh, set this up for us. Uh, what were you looking at? What were your parameters? Sure. So wide receiver and tight end both gave them kind of the same constraints. Uh, same team, mm-hmm. uh, 65 targets. Again, kind of an arbitrary cutoff, but I wanted to make sure to give myself a decent sample size, but also a big enough sample where they had a chance to at least have, have some volume in the offense over a season. Uh, so 65 targets on the same team gave me 175 wide receivers. Uh, over the last five years and then for tight ends it gave me just 60 but obviously there's fewer tight ends so that makes sense okay it, you know what i thought of something before I, I give you my next wide receiver question since you're looking at volume on running backs are you liking a guy um you know like the bill o'brien offense so lamar miller a lot of volume there or even chip kelly with the uh, carlos hyde a lot of volume there uh orion matthews just who i love and I love Lamar Miller, not a big Carlos Hyde fan. But because there should be a lot of volume there, Matthews, just because there's no one else on the team, uh, Chip Kelly uh, loads it up the running back position, so does Bill O'Brien. Are you, what do you think about those three in particular, Lamar, uh, Hyde, and Ryan Matthews? Uh, if I do draft a running back in the first two rounds, Lamar Miller is probably the guy I'm targeting the most. Um, Ryan Matthews also just because I tend to draft wide receivers early he's finding himself on my teams a lot I think he is uh, he could repeat his top 12 season that we saw him have in San Diego when he was healthy and the starter for an entire season Uh, who's the other guy you asked me oh Hyde Uh, Hyde is a guy that I am little concerned about because chip kelly yeah. chip kelly does like to run a uh he, he does give his running backs volume but he likes to run a committee as well and uh carlos Hyde has proven that he's a very good pass catcher so that concerns me and the game script there i mean yeah they're gonna, i think they're gonna be playing from behind not, a lot and needing to throw yeah right uh lockstep with me my man i like it uh validation for me yeah but, i'm right there um, with you I, I dig it i dig it uh, now, moving back to uh, wide receiver and kind of tight end, since it's basically set up the same way. Uh, well, let's start wide receiver, though. But if you if you cross over, great. What did you find a correlation year to year at the wide receiver position? What is the most reliable and what's a crapshoot? All right. So wide receiver and tight end, I'll just say both of these together because they both have a very, right. very high correlation targets per game. Like running backs, uh, uh the pass catcher's usage is, for the most part, if they stayed on the same team, uh, it's going to maintain in the offense. So we want to be targeting those targets with our pass catchers. Uh, again, touchdowns are unreliable. One thing we can predict is how often they're going to see the opportunity. So when I'm targeting my pass catchers, I want to make sure that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for them to at least catch the ball. And then uh, the rest will be splitting hairs and dividing into tiers. But first and foremost, I really want targets. And then because of that, obviously, receptions are going to follow very close in a high year to year correlation. Uh, something that was really, really low. I'll just stick to receivers for now. Um Yards per target, uh, touchdown rate, 
and red zone touchdown rate. Uh, like quarterbacks, those touchdown rates are really, really hard to predict, and that's just because there's the pass catchers are seeing such a low amount of volume. Even if they're tops in the league, uh, the volume near the goal line just isn't that high for us to really know how good or bad they are in or uh, around the end zone. So that's what it is, volume. I, that was one of my questions. I find it interesting you, you, you say to be wary of, of red zone with wide receivers. And to me, I always kind of look at like, you know, uh, uh, Eli Manning, uh, I think he in the last two years is the most, uh, second most uh, red zone attempts last year. I believe I'm going off my head here, but I think Bortles and Aaron Rodgers had 100 red zone attempts. So I, I often look at that, but then you think there are certain guys that they're going to throw to like maybe the tight end in uh in, in giants might be good because they're throwing to uh they're they're throwing so many red zone attempts but i hear you say for wide receiver and tight end because the volume is so low a guy who is really good in the red zone one year might not be next year just because there's not enough volume yeah the guy i highlighted uh in this study was larry fitzgerald because he uh over this time span for this study, he has seen the second most red zone targets. Um, the reason I didn't use the guy that was first is because it was Brandon Marshall, and he is a red zone freak, and he's just always really uh -huh. good. Uh, so I use Larry Fitzgerald as the example. Uh, he had a low of 0% touchdown rate in the red zone in 2014. He didn't convert any of his 10 targets. Uh, and then last year, he converted 43% of his red zone targets. But wow. his uh, his average is pretty close to league average. He's he's uh, scored on 20, 21% of his career red zone targets. So zero obviously isn't sustainable. 43% isn't sustainable for a guy like <laughs> Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, so again, like quarterbacks, uh, like our running backs with their efficiency, and this actually holds true for wide receiver efficiency as well, that's a number that we shouldn't expect to carry over from one year to the next. We should probably expect it to regress to the mean a little bit more, unless there, there's the outliers. Um, there's the Eric Deckers, the Des Bryants, who are, and I already mentioned Brandon Marshall. Those guys are monsters in the red zone, but they're few and far between. So for the most part, we want to expect that number to regress to either a league average or an individual average for the player if we have a big enough sample size for them. Yeah, and like with Decker, I mean, he, I believe he had what uh, no double-digit touchdown games, but a string of single-digit touchdown yeah, I games. Mean, so just you, consistent. Yeah, he's he's the best person to ever step on the face of the earth, and I'll I'll I love him to death. Uh, he's just one of the. He knows how to score touchdowns. He has a knack for it. He gets open in short spaces. Uh, he's he's the best. Yeah, uh, what twelve? Single digit touchdown games last season. I mean, 12 touchdowns and never two in one I'll take game. It. I'll that... take that in an MFL 10 all day. I don't care if the ceiling's that high. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a guy that is often brought up in the same breath with Decker, who I think is going to probably regress, I want to know what you think, is Hearns. Not simply because of Hearns' talent, but just because I don't think Bortles is going to put up 100 red zone attempts. So you love Decker? What do you think about yeah, Hearns? I have a couple studies coming out on this, and the Jaguars' offense is going to be highlighted. Um, I. Hearns is a guy who's uh, in his first two seasons, his his red zone touchdown rate has actually been up there with the Deckers and the Dezes, but uh, I haven't dug too deep on this, and I'm I'm probably not the expert at film watching, but it just doesn't look like he gets open the way uh, Eric Decker does, and in, uh, in terms of getting open really quickly in short space, or a Des Bryant where he's winning these contested catches in really uh, tight spaces with the with the 
cornerback all over him. Um, so I'm not sure if he's actually a really good touchdown scorer like like it looks like he is. But even if he is, I don't think this offense is going to be able to support uh, what yeah. they did last year. They uh, Bortles threw 20 of his 34 touchdowns when Jaguars were trailing by uh, seven or more points. So the game script was really there for them to throw all the time. They scored 88% of their red zone touchdowns uh, through the air, which that's a number, again, that I don't have the – here in the studies we're looking at, but I've looked at it myself. That's a number that tends to regress to the mean uh, touchdown rate in the red zone for the teams usually doesn't stick from year to year. Uh, so I don't think they'll see the number of passing touchdowns to go around as a team. So naturally the, the pass catchers touchdown should go down a little bit. Yeah. And one thing that really stood out to me uh, looking at wide receiver. Now I believe this was the highest uh, across any of the positions, but uh, PPR fantasy points per game for wide receiver was the highest, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.60, right? Uh, so, actually, uh, actually, um, tight end was higher. Uh, tight end was yeah, higher. I okay. Think, let's see, PPR fan. Yeah, that's the tight end. The wide receivers were. Oh, you're right, 0. 0.66. Yeah, uh, wide receivers were 0. 0.60, and I was trying to figure out why, and I think I yeah. might have kind of uncovered the why. Uh, at least last year, the, this, there could be some noise because I just looked at 2015. Uh, but last year, if we take out Tyler Eifert, who scored 41% of his uh, fantasy points via the touchdown, uh, if we take out Tyler Eifert, top 12 players across all positions, uh, tight end was the least touchdown dependent. Only 19% of their of top 12 tight ends fantasy points came via the score. Uh, so okay. I think that might have a little bit to do with it. Um, I'm sure there's probably a little bit more there. Um, it could just be because the tight end position, we don't see a lot of fluctuation. If it, if there are solid guys that are entrenched as tight ends, they usually stick for a really long time. You think of the Wittens, the Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez. Um, you know, when those guys are good, they're, they stay for a long time. So it makes sense that they're the, the positions fantasy points carry over from year to year. Uh, but they are pretty, uh, low, um, have pretty ro- low reliance on touchdowns. And again, that makes sense. Touch, uh, tight ends don't score a ton of touchdowns. It's We talked about it before. It's it's variable from week to week, but over a course of a season, it's probably going to be pretty even. So the uh, inflation there, the .66 PPR fantasy points per week for tight end is heavily due to perhaps one player, uh, Tyler Eifert? Uh, well, no, I'm, I think... Uh, I think someone like Eifert might have actually skewed that the other way just because he had this okay. this crazy uh this crazy season in terms of scoring touchdowns. I just took him out because he, he had I, I want to say he was the most touchdown dependent fantasy scorer of the last 5 years. I could be wrong, but it was such an outlier that I took it out when <laughs> I was comparing those numbers. I know he was across any position using the the pyro. I mentioned this in our bust kit out of this last year out of any position. Uh, he had the highest percentage of all his fantasy points come from TDs, uh, far outweighing any other running back, any other tight end, uh, quarterback, uh, any other position was Tyler Eifert. It was over 50%, I want to say. It was yeah, huge. yeah, I think that he might have been the highest over the last five years as well. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure I remember looking at that myself. Well, I can, uh, I've got it up at least for this last year, so I'm talking the 2015 season. Uh, Tyler Eifert... For percents uh, from 
Of course, now I'm going to blow this. Yeah, 55.9%. Yeah, that, and that's, that's in the 2015 season. as the highest. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, and I looked across all positions. 55.9 was by far the most. Uh, Richard Rodgers right up there, 48%. Uh, but, yeah, that's something to certainly be cons- uh, in consideration for a bust candidate, if you ask me. Now... One thing I noticed here, and then I'm going to let you go once again, Pyromaniacs, we're talking to TJ Hernandez from 4 for 4, and uh, I noticed you said with the tight ends, uh, tight ends with, and I'm quoting you, tight ends with consistent red zone work are a valuable commodity. So which tight ends are you more prone to draft? So I actually looked at this the other day, and and that uh, year-to-year red zone work is is really hard to find. Um, like, like we, I don't know if I mentioned it, but the percent of team red zone targets had just a 0.11 correlation from year to year uh, for tight ends and their red zone touchdown rate was just 0.06. So uh, basically it's hard to find a tight end that gets a ton of red zone work every single year. Um, but okay. when we do find them, they're really valuable because most tight ends don't get that work. So the guy that stood out the most was uh, as the most consistent red zone targeted guy was Greg Olson. Um, Antonio Gates ranks very well in that category. Uh, Gronk's consistency score isn't super high, but that's just because he always has a ton of red zone targets. So in a season where he gets say 26, um, it, it makes it look inconsistent compared to his 18 red zone targets the year before, but, uh, but he's still going to be up there top. So he's another guy that obviously is going to get a ton of red zone targets. Uh, but, but yeah, those, those consistent red zone targets are very few and far between. And that's, I think you answered it. You know, uh, I was going to ask you, you say in your study that obviously you kind of basically answered this red zone is not to be relied upon. However, the caveat there, as you said, Greg Olson, Antonio Gates is if you can find consistency among those guys. Right, right, exactly. All right. Now, is being that we're getting to the end and I've only got my, my famous last question for you, is there anything else your study uh, brought up that you thought was curious or interesting or, or you're going to use that we didn't cover? Uh, you know, I think we pretty pretty much highlighted it. Again, the thing that really, really jumped out to me and the thing that uh, I think is – maybe not the most important, but the most interesting to take away is just to be, be wary of those running back yards per touch and yards per carry numbers, just because uh, that's the number I hear quoted so much. And, and, and yeah. now that I've done this study, every time I hear it, I cringe a little bit and I just want to, I, I want to tweet at them and be like, Hey, that's, that's not important. Don't worry about it. It's going to, it's going to improve for the most part. Usually some players are bad, Trent Richardson, but uh, <laughs> for the most part, we can expect that to regress. Trent Richardson just ran into the backs of his <laughs> offensive line. <Yeah. laughs> Look, he was running it like a blind man running back there. Uh, all right. I, I love it. I know Christopher Harris will like it too. And I've been guilty of tweeting out yards per carry stats. And I know in the back of my head, it, it's a volatile stat, but you have confirmed it. Now, before I let you go, Pyromaniacs, you've heard this one before, uh, but basically – it, it It's an oldie but a goodie. It comes from actually Amos Milburn, but of course John Lee Hooker saying one bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. So along those lines, Mr. Uh, T.J. Hernandez, give me one bounce back, one sleeper, and one bust. Do I, do I have to expound on my thoughts or do I just get to throw names out there with no uh, – without without any uh... – 
give me a give me a brief little synopsis. Doesn't have to expound, but maybe a. Sentence. All right, sounds good. So, uh, bounce back. I think for me is Tony Romo. Uh, highest touchdown rate, uh, third highest touchdown rate among all active quarterbacks, and he's going to get Des for a full year. Uh, I think Romo uh, go, comes back and is a QB one uh, sleeper, and this is been fluctuating with recent news, but I, I think his value will stay depressed. Kamar Aiken, he had uh, averaged over 10 targets per game over the last six weeks of the season last year, and I think that that offense with a healthy Joe Flacco and Mark Tressman is going to be very explosive. I think Kamar Aiken is going to be the beneficiary. Uh, Bust, this probably is going to be super popular opinion, but I, I think Todd Gurley is probably the guy that I'm, I'm going to be avoiding most in my drafts. Uh, he was... He, he was very, very touchdown dependent last year. 29% of his uh, PPR points came from touchdowns. Uh, I looked at bef- last night. I knew I had to back up my reasoning for this. So I, I took a look and um, only 18 players uh, in the last five years with 250 plus fantasy points have, have had 29% or more of their fantasy points come from touchdowns. And, and they averaged um, uh, 18% decline in their fantasy points per game for the next season. And then Gurley is a guy that they say he's improving in, in his pass catching abilities, but uh, very game script dependent. Uh, he just doesn't catch a lot of balls. And uh, I think this is going to be a bad Rams team with rookie quarterback. So he could, uh, he could lose a lot of touches because of bad game script. Yeah. Bad game script there. Uh, I'm with you. Certainly. On, on that offense. Uh, I, I love a girly, but yeah, I the game script, and it's kind of the same deal with San Francisco. I, I'm just not expecting too much from those teams, especially running back position. Absolutely. I agree with you. Mr. TJ Hernandez has been joining me today, folks. He is uh, one of four for four's brightest. You can see him over or listen to him on the DFS MVP podcast with uh, also Chris Raybon and follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Once again, that is T-J-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. TJ, I truly enjoyed this. Uh, as I said, you're one of my favorites, and I, I really can't thank you enough for sitting down and having a fantasy football talk with Thanks you. for having me, Jeremy. It was a blast, man. I had a, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Pyromaniacs, this has been another fantasy football talk brought to you by the boys at Pyromaniac. Give us a, a shout on Twitter. You can follow me. Uh, I am Pyromaniac Mo. Of course, the regular crew is on Twitter at Pyromaniac. For the regular crew, it is P-Y-R-O-M-A-N, the number one AC. I am all letters, P-Y-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-C-M-O. Check out our draft kit in the Pyro Pro available on pyromaniac.com. And as always, we will catch you on the flip side. Super psyched to be here. Thanks for coming out.
We were talking backstage, and the answer is yes.
Blue.